This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Thank you, Johnny, and good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be church and lovely to be gathered together uh, this morning. Thought I thought I'd start uh, in that place of just recognizing that all of us in our lives, we develop certain responses, don't we? We develop certain reaction, reflexes, things that we go to if and when certain things happen. So I'll give an example uh, from my own life. I've discovered that I've become a little reliant on on this thing, uh, as you know, but, but not, not just always for the normal things. Uh, we've got two young kids and I, we put them to bed every night and, and I'm in the practice of when I put my child to bed, I go to the weather app and just go, what's the weather going to be overnight and how should I dress my child appropriately uh, to be able to sleep through the night, hopefully God willing. There's other times as well I do it as well. If I'm out and about somewhere and I get lost, I go to my phone to get directions. Um, I did this, actually, just last night. Someone was talking about, oh, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, oh, maybe. And so I jumped on my phone to have a quick little you know, Facebook stalk and see if we did have mutual friends and, and they were somebody that I knew uh, or not. There's so many times I, I have this sort of reaction, this response, this reflex to go to what is contained in my phone. It's become quite a habit that I've developed over time. And we have these in all manner of ways across our lives. I'm 40 years old, uh, and I still, if I'm making a major life decision, will defer and have a chat to mum and dad as I process it. You know, a, a response, a reaction, this habit, this reflex that's built in. When this, then that. If this, then that. Is this making sense? And I really wanted to open that today because I feel that's what James is doing in this passage as he closes his book. In fact, I think it's fair in many ways to say that that's actually typified the book of James as a whole. He's talking about our default go-tos, if this, then that, when this, then that, right? If you lack wisdom, ask God. If you go through trials, consider it joy because God's going to do a work in you. If someone asks you a question, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you praise God with your lips, well, then make sure you're not tearing people down with the same tongue and the same words. If this, then that. When this, then that. If our faith is real and alive and genuine, then it overflows. It turns up. It shows up in practical ways. And so he ends with what is titled, and probably in your Bibles, the prayer of faith, which is really about this response, a reaction. The idea is that we would so develop the habit of doing this that it would almost become an instinctive reflex. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, he's talking about reactions and responses, what we do when we experience these things. Now, for some of us, those habits, those responses, those reflexes will be really normal. And sometimes we'll feel like, no, that's something, a pattern that I actually need to develop and I need to cultivate, I need to grow in. James is being incredibly consistent right throughout his book. 
He's not suddenly shifting tack right at the end to dive into some deep theological discussion. He's talking about very real, very practical, very clear, very simple ways that the Christian with real, live, genuine faith lives, what they do. And so we're going to be talking about praying for healing today. Praying for healing. And I wonder what comes to mind as we do. I wonder what feelings are evoked for you when we even just broach this topic in church life. I'm always conscious that maybe this is your first time in our church. Maybe your first time in church full stop. We've had a couple of those people over the last month or two at NVBC. Maybe you come today from that place of going, actually, you know what? I haven't thought much about this. I haven't seen much of this. I don't feel like I have that much exposure to what prayer for healing can look like in a church community. And so maybe you come curious. For others, maybe you come excited and eagerly anticipating what will be said and what will be done. For other of us, maybe we come with some wounds from the past, having seen things done or said that we felt were unhealthy, maybe even unbiblical. And so we come today, guard up a little bit, a bit defensive, a bit fearful even, maybe even a bit hurt, still carrying some of those wounds from the past. Or maybe you come today just saying, I hope the preacher doesn't talk very long because I'd love to get to that prayer ministry time. Well, I've come today with about four sermons worth of content. <laughs> so, not to disappoint you. <laughs> no, there's lots we can say about faith, and there's lots we can say about uh, healing, and lots we can talk about um, prayer, mini- uh, prayer ministry and what that looks like individually and corporately as a church community. And I'm going to try my absolute best um, to stick to time, and we can continue our conversations and our discussions elsewhere if I don't get to touch on everything. But I love what one Bible commentator said about James chapter 5, this particular passage. He said, there is a lot of assumed knowledge in these verses. There's a lot of assumed knowledge in these verses. James isn't laying a biblical foundation or a theological understanding of what he's talking about. He's gone straight to practice, straight to the practical outworking, straight to that instinctive reflex that he wants to see believers have. Oh, you're in trouble? Will you go to God in prayer? Oh, things are going well. Well, you go to God in praise. Oh, you're sick. Well, you go to God with others and pray for healing. That's where he lands. And so I'd love to jump out of James really quickly to fill in some of that backstory for you uh, in case you don't know it. And there's all manner of places in Scripture we could go. We could go right back to the beginning. Um, But being a good uh, Baptist, I'm going to pick it up with Jesus, if that's all right with you. And so we know that Jesus arrives on the scene as part of God's good and perfect plan to bring restoration to the entire world. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, this is how he starts his public ministry. He starts by reading a prophecy from the Old Testament. And he gets up that first day, kind of after coming back, being tempted in the wilderness, And he says this, this is Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favour is now. And then Luke records for us that Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and instead of having one of those great discussions like they often did in the synagogues, he sat down and he began by saying this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we see Jesus show us exactly what those words meant. And he goes about doing exactly what he said he would do, proclaiming freedom, telling good news, lifting up the poor and the broken and the downcast, honouring the humble and healing, setting free. These amazing miracles throughout the life of Jesus, and they follow him throughout his public ministry. Crowds will seek him out for this. People will dig through roofs in order to get their mate just to see Jesus. People will push through crowds just trying to touch the hem of his cloak, knowing that in him and through him, there is power for restoration and healing from all kinds of ailments, including the physical. And there's a beautiful interaction that happens uh, later on in Matthew uh, chapter 11. Uh, John the Baptist, he's a poor guy, he's in prison and he's awaiting his death because of some petty, powerful woman that that perceived that he slighted her. Uh, And he's sitting there and he has this moment of like, I just just need to know that my life means something, that what I've done is, is right. And so he sends a messenger to Jesus to just say, are you the one? Are you the one that is to come? Are you God's promised Messiah? Are we entering this this next era of God's plan for salvation? And do you remember what Jesus, the message he sends back? He says, does anyone remember it? Oh, Bible trivia night coming up at NVBC. Better start studying. (laughs) This is Matthew chapter 11. He says, go back to John and report what? All that you have seen and heard. And then he unpacks it, doesn't he? Yeah, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is saying to John, if you want to know if I'm the Messiah, if you want to know that God's kind of next chapter for his people is is underway, Look at what is happening. Here is the demonstrated evidence that I am who you believe that I am and that God is doing a new thing, not just in Israel, but to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' proclamation is that the kingdom of God has come near, that it is here. And as part of that, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf are healed, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so throughout the Gospels, we have Jesus ministering in the power of the Spirit as part of the kingdom coming, and we see lives transformed as they encounter him. But it's not just Jesus who is the one doing the healings in the Gospel account, is it? Hopefully you've caught that, right? So Jesus at one time is recorded, and it's recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, which is usually the Bible's way of telling us, hey, pay attention, this bit's really important. We couldn't neglect to include it in our accounts. He sends out his 12 disciples. This is Matthew chapter 10. 
Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. It's quite a specific mission that they are sent on. Jesus sends them out to the Jews and the Jews only uh, in, in this particular mission. Go to the lost sheep of Israel, Matthew 6, verse 10. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. So their message, their mission is much like ours today, to go out into the world and to proclaim, to preach, to make known, to witness, to be his ambassadors, to announce that the kingdom of God has come near. They're going out to make disciples. We would use that language um, in, in our day and age. But as they go, there is a demonstration that accompanies their proclamation. They're announcing that the kingdom of God has come, and they're demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come in the ways that they are meeting people and healing people in the name of Jesus and driving out demons in the name of Jesus. And Mark, in chapter 6, uh, verse 13, that's his account, a lot shorter than in the other ones, but he makes this note, that the disciples, as they went, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So that's the 12 disciples. Later, Jesus will send out a much bigger group, a group of 70 or 72, depending on which translation you're reading from. And this time, there's no mention of, of authority being given to them, but that Jesus appointed them for the mission. And so they go out two by two, and it's the same sort of instruction. Luke 10, verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Personally, I take that advice uh, everywhere I go. It's biblical, godly godly wisdom there. Sorry, should stay on track. Um, Luke 10 verse 9, uh, and as you go, heal the sick who are there. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So once again, proclamation is accompanied by demonstration. The kingdom of God has come near. And we follow through the rest of the scriptures and of course you continue to see Jesus heal and you continue to see the disciples minister and Jesus dies a sinner's death on a cross for you and I and he's raised uh, to newness of life and uh, he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes on the early church and as we read the, uh, the recorded report of what happened in the early church, the first thing that we see is that they're told that they're to go out and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. They're called to proclaim that the king has come, that the Messiah is Jesus, there is life to be found in his his name. They're called to go out and make disciples. That's the purpose. That's the mission. That's the mandate. Um, but the first thing we read about their common life is this beautiful uh, instruction at the end of Acts chapter 2 that many signs and wonders were done in their midst. In fact, there was awe and there was wonder at what was happening. And the very first instance of their life, a specific instance that's recorded in Acts chapter 3, is of Peter and John going up to the temple as part of their normal daily life and healing somebody that they come across in their daily life. And I don't know if Luke is doing this deliberately or he's just recording what happened, uh, but it seems to me the impact is very much that that idea of the kingdom of God and the power of God to heal didn't ascend with Jesus back into heaven, but rested on and remained in the world. And so you read through the rest of your New Testament and there's verses that talk about and celebrate the power of God at work in our lives, like 
the passage that we read today, James chapter 5. It is the normative, expected part of Christian life and church life, that God is real, that Jesus is Lord, that the kingdom is here, and that God still heals today. So is this your natural reaction, your reflection, your response, your go-to when you or someone you love are sick? That's the question that James is asking us. You know, I had a really significant um, encounter that kind of, as part of my own processing and, and journey of, of what it means to, to pray for healing uh, as, as a church family, uh, as a Christian. Uh, it happened about 14 years ago, uh, and interestingly, it didn't actually involve uh, an instantaneous healing. Um, I told this to the Thursday Life in the Spirit group, so bear with me for, for getting, getting the repeated version um, on, the, on the Sunday. Uh, but I was leading a young adults camp. I was a young adults pastor at the time, uh, taking a bunch of our young adults away um, to a camp, and it was going to be all about, you know, what it means to, to, to walk in the fullness of being children of God and understanding the role of the Holy Spirit um, in our lives. We had this guest speaker who was just so wise and godly and had so much experience uh, about this. And so we're, we're sitting there, or well, we're not sitting there, we're standing there before the Saturday night session. And you know how Saturday night sessions are on youth and young adults camps, right? That's, that's what you're building up to. That's where there's going to be an amazing amount of ministry time, and it's going to be really significant. Uh, and we're talking about these sorts of things. This is why we've, ing- we've invited this guy to come and speak. And so we're setting up the chairs just in, in those final few moments before this session starts. And one of my young adults, someone who I, I knew really well, considered a friend, just started complaining that I've got this really bad headache, and they don't know if they're going to be able to stay there and actually enjoy the Saturday night session. They'd asked a few people, they couldn't find any Panadol, couldn't find uh, any aspirin uh, anywhere, and we were just trying to work out, well, I wonder if someone can do a quick run to the shops and, and get you some for this headache, because I'd really hate for you to, to, to miss out on, on this session. And my kind of response in the moment was like, well, that sucks, let's see if we can get you some Panadol. And the speaker, he's caught wind of this. He's like, well, hang on a minute. And he drifts over and he's like, why don't we pray for you right now? As the pastor at the time, I felt, well, you can imagine what I felt. (laughs) Somewhat embarrassed, a whole lot of Holy Spirit conviction and very guilty to this day that I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) And so it's the session. So the people are already filtering in. And so he's like, hey, we're just going to pray for this girl that her headache is healed. If anyone wants to come and join or be part of this, come. And so there's about six or eight of us that kind of drift around and pray for healing. And I'll never forget, clearly, 14 years later, he prays this prayer for healing where I just went, I don't pray like that. I don't know how I prayed for healing before, but it wasn't like that. There was a, a faith, there was a, a boldness, there was an authority in the way that he prayed that made me certainly sit up and take notice and want to learn more and want to reflect about the way that I pray for healing for other people. So he finishes this prayer. Everyone, you know, you kind of raise your head and everyone kind of shuffles back into their yeah, more comfortable state. But he's not done. So he looks at this girl and he says, so how do you feel now? Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm paying attention again. I'm like, oh, I don't think I do that when I pray for somebody. To actually assume or presume or think that, well, of course God could heal in an instant, so you need to ask, you need to check whether God actually has. 
And so he asked this girl, you know, how, how do you feel now? Is the headache still there? Is it, is it gone? And she says, no, it's still there. So he goes, great, let's pray again. And so everyone gathers around and we continue praying for this young lady whose headache was not healed. <laughs> but the lesson was made. And I learned such a valuable lesson in that moment. Why wasn't my default response in that time to pray for healing? And as a young guy who was still pretty kind of new, I guess, in many ways to this side of the faith, um, I recognised that I had a lot to learn and I had a lot to grow in when it came to believing and to praying and to taking the authority that is ours to pray for healing for those who need it. One of the things that I love about James is that he is so pragmatic and that he's so clear and he can't doesn't really give us real room for how we actually live when you actually look at his instructions it's got everything you need the what when how who like it's all there when when you're sick what go get prayer who call the elders of the church how anoint with oil and pray in the name of jesus why because the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well do you have this inbuilt response? This almost instinctive move towards prayer when you're in trouble, when you're happy, or when you're sick? Love to shift gears. I suspect. I suspect for many of us this passage is tricky to understand, and it's tricky to interpret, not because of the instruction. The instruction is very clear. And it's very pragmatic. But I think some of us have seen things or experienced people taking these verses to an extreme, to a point where they are what I would describe as no longer true. And it's particularly verses 15 and 16 and the role that faith plays in healing and the role that sin can contribute to sickness. Now, is faith important when we pray for healing? Well, you betcha, because if you don't have any, you're not going to pray in the first place, are you? And throughout the scriptures, we certainly see Jesus constantly come back to and highlight the importance and the role of faith in healing with the people that he's interacting with. Uh, the woman caught, um, who's bleeding, who touches the hem of his garden, go in peace, daughter, your faith has made you well. Those guys who dropped the paralyzed friend through the roof, he saw their faith Luke records for us. The dad who comes to Jesus, whose, whose daughter is sick at home, and Jesus says, do you believe? Or, or the interactions that Jesus has with people where they need to enact some faith in some way. They actually need to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Or they need to pick up their mat and walk. The lepers who need to go and wash and then show themselves to the priest. There's a faith response that Jesus asks for as part of their healing. And so is faith important? Absolutely. Is sin damaging and harmful? Of course it is. But does it mean that we need to make this so prescriptive that it becomes somebody's fault if healing doesn't happen? John records a story for us disciples are walking along and they come across a man who has been born blind, blind from birth. Can you even imagine what that would be like? 
your entire life, smudgy, dark, in a day before you got support workers and all the technology available, never be able to look at your own mum and dad in the eye. And later on in John chapter 9, we find out that this man and his family, they're well known to the synagogue. So they're good, God-fearing people. They would have prayed about this. They would have wrestled with God about this. On this one day, the disciples come across this man who's born blind. And instead of being moved, instead of having compassion, instead of having pity, instead of going, Jesus, you must do something about this man's condition, do you know what they do? They say, whose fault is this? He becomes this theological discussion. Someone must be to blame. There's something wrong physically with this man. God, we know that's not your intention for all created order. So who sinned? Was it him? Is he to blame? Or or is it his parents? Is it his parents' fault? Is there some sin in his parents' life that contributed to his condition? Can you imagine that? The man is born blind. He's not deaf. (laughs) He is hearing this debate and this discussion happening over him by his supposed spiritual leaders. Whose fault is this? Who is to blame? What does Jesus say? He rebukes them and says, no one is to blame. Neither of them are to blame. But this is an opportunity for God's glory to be made known, for God's glory to be made manifest. And Jesus sets about the work of bringing healing and restoration and opening his eyes. Heading to new territory here as a pastor, as a preacher. Um, But I think I've been here long enough. I've heard some things. I've never come across a church, to be honest, that has so much concern around this area of theology. Um, So much defensiveness, even fear about what will be taught. I've served at many churches, and I have to say, I've never had the questions that I've had here already in the short time that I have. What is your philosophy about this? What is your position on this? Where are you leading us in all of this? And as as I've heard some of the stories, I just want to... I feel like I need to be really clear that I've heard some things that have been said to people in our church community that I would describe as abhorrent. Never once in the life of Jesus, oh dear, Oh, yeah, we bought tissues, tissues today just for me. <laughs> Thanks, Gav. Never once in the life of Jesus do I see him accuse or blame or search for meaning or to condemn anybody that he heals. Find it for me if I'm wrong. Every time Jesus comes across somebody who is demon-possessed, somebody who is blind from birth, someone who has been bleeding unceremonially for years. He's moved with compassion and he shows love and he stands with them and he encourages them and brings the kingdom of God to bear in their life. 
Friends, I know there have been some well-meaning people that we, that we come across in our lives. Christians who, who want, that what they want more than anything else is for people to be healed. That's awesome. That's great. Why wouldn't you? I understand that. Completely understand that. But where they fall short is if, if, if the healing is not there, that something must be wrong. And you don't come across them too often. You don't come across them too often. But every now and again, uh, instead of encouraging, instead of standing with, instead of loving, instead of adding faith and adding strength, people look to apportion blame to explain why a prayer for healing hasn't worked. And if you are somebody that is carrying the wounds of that, where you felt condemned or accused or blamed for your condition or for why a prayer for healing wasn't answered. I actually wrote this one down because I want you to hear this. I want you to hear. I want you to hear that that was unfair, unloving, that it was unkind, that it was unbiblical, that it was untrue, and that it was ungodly. Are we clear? And that's not to diminish the role and importance of faith. And again, it's not to be foolishly naive about the damaging impact of sin in our lives. But as someone or some people who come alongside others to pray for those to be healed, we do so from a place of love, we do so from a place of compassion, we do so from a place of grace, never condemning, never judging, never blaming but just standing with what the scriptures call us into. We bring the needs before God, who we trust and who we love. This is making sense. Um, that was fairly intense. Can I tell some better stories than that? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to tell you um, some good stories. Because I've belonged to it, I've come from a church that I think did this really well. We didn't make a big show and dance about, uh, about it. It wasn't our purpose. It wasn't necessarily what we, we, know, we were known for. But we just gently, lovingly, graciously, biblically got along with praying healing for people and trusting that God was good, knowing that the kingdom was here, knowing that God still healed, uh, heals today. Um, and, and it does, uh, does wonderful things for your faith. It really does, to, to not only be part of a church family like that, but then to have the testimonies of God turning up in powerful ways and bringing healing into people's lives. Um, we shared a bunch of those testimonies uh, at our life in the, in the spirit course that was recorded from them. I'm afraid we're not allowed to obviously broadcast them onto the internet, so I can't show them to you today. Um, but one of them was a lady, uh, like a really intense healing, a lady who had, had MS, uh, so as a, as a young mum, she was diagnosed with all the specialists, with all the doctors, um, with this incurable disease and, and experienced in her body exactly what you would expect that disease to do. She ended up in a, in a wheelchair as a mum of um, some young kids and, and it just shortened life expectancy, the whole deal, the whole deal. So I knew her as a grandma where she'd been 30 years healed and set free from MS. In the time that I was at Para, we saw people healed of all manner of physical ailments. 
um, including a few uh, gluten intolerant people, which I think they were very happy <laughs> to receive healing, uh, healing for and not have to do anything to change their diet, but actually to, to fully resume their, their normal eating, which, is, which was amazing. I remember one in particular, oh, I'm sorry, not, not the one healing in particular, we had a young, a young guy come off a motorbike, uh, have, have a really serious accident. Uh, ended up in hospital, bits of the, the, the skull off, off his uh, head, uh, and the doctor's diagnosis said, this is not good. Months in a coma, and um, certainly the, the prognosis was, we don't know if this, he'll ever be him again. We don't even know if he'll remember who he is. And we're not necessarily expecting him to ever be able to walk or ever be able to talk again. And by the time I, I left Para, we had him back in church with his dad, walking on his own, speaking on his own, still a way to go, but a walking, talking testament that our God is in the business of bringing healing and restoration and redemption. And so it does something powerful for you as a person when you walk into a room and you literally can look out and go, you should be dead. <laughs> you should be dead. Somebody else who was uh, miraculously intervened as they tried to take their own life, you should be dead. Looking around, being like, you've got a story of the ways that you were healed from this addiction. You've got a story of the ways that this stronghold in your life broke after decades and decades of having its grip on you. Looking around, just building your faith, reminding you that God is real, that God is here, that God still heals today. And at the same token, like, please hear me, looking around that room and seeing people with ongoing chronic illnesses who were the most godly, faithful people you could ever meet, who'd received more prayer for those things than, than anyone could reasonably expect to get. And yet they would get up in our open mic times and they would testify to the power and the presence and the goodness of God in the midst of their circumstance, even though maybe God hadn't healed them in the physical in the ways that they were hoping for before they meet him one day in heaven. But I wanted to end with this. One of the questions I've been asked, and people have been very direct about this, is what is my personal philosophy and stance? What's my theology around all of this stuff? Hopefully that's given you a little indication and a little idea. But if I could distill it, I would distill it down into this sentence. I believe we are the children of God and we trust in our loving Heavenly Father. We are the children of God and we trust in our loving Heavenly Father. And maybe that sounds frustratingly simple <laughs> to some of you today. So I'll unpack it just a bit. I believe we are the children of God. Amen. Those who are known by God. Those who are loved by God. Those who have been chosen by God, set apart by God. Those who have inherited every spiritual blessing in Christ as our inheritance as part of being in the family of God. I'm a child of God, you're a child of God, and he's filled us with his Holy Spirit, and he continues to be at work in us. He is set apart, he has sanctified us, and we know him as our Father. And he is our loving Heavenly Father in whom we can trust. We can trust in his goodness. We can trust in his sovereignty. We can trust in his power. We can trust in his presence in our life. And we can trust in his desire to bring restoration 
and healing once and for all to all parts of creation, whether we experience it in the now or in the next. And what does this theology do for me? Well, it means when I read a passage like James, I'm like, yes, I want to have that response. I want that to be so natural, so normal, so habitual. It's like an instinct that I do before I even realize that I'm sick, someone's sick, let's pray. Let's pray. And we trust it as the children of God to our loving Heavenly Father. And if God entrusts us with a testimony of an instant healing or a progressive healing, then we will testify to the goodness and greatness of God. Or if God answers our prayer by giving us a testimony of his comfort and his strength in the midst of our circumstance that we're praying about, well, I will testify to the goodness and greatness of our loving Heavenly Father. Is this all making some sense? Awesome. So I'm going to get the band up because we're going to sing. I'm going to sing a song very deliberately chosen called Waymaker. And it's just the idea that God is in the room, <laughs> that he is real. And that these stories of healings that we read in the pages of our scriptures, these stories of healings that, that, that I've had, that you have, people that we know have had, they're current and they're real. And so this morning we're just going to open up a time of prayer ministry after this song where you can come forward to receive prayer for anything. For anything. If you've got something physical you'd love prayer for, well, we're going to trust it to our loving Heavenly Father. Man, if there's somebody else in your life that needs prayer for physical healing, come forward. We can pray for them and trust that to our loving Heavenly Father too. If there's some emotional hurt, maybe even around some of this stuff, come forward, receive prayer. If there's an area of your life where you want to see God break through, come forward and receive prayer. I don't want us to be a church that confines this stuff to intellectual debate and discussion in our small groups but actually we would step in with belief and trust that oh, he is good and that he is here and that we can trust him. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.